You ready for a family conversation this morning? Um, yeah. So if, I, I just want to say it again. If, if you haven't heard by now, we lost our friend Mana last weekend by suicide. By, she took her own life. And we're, we're, we're going to lean into that conversation this morning as, as uncomfortable as it may be. And if you knew Mana and were around her in any capacity outside of our Sunday services, you likely knew that she had a long str- struggle with depression. And as her pastor, as one of her pastors, I always appreciated her vulnerability and honesty about that. She didn't glamorize it or, or share it in a way that would make you think that she was trying to bring attention to herself. She was just doing what she knew was healthy for her to do, and which was to talk about it. She talked about it. And I'll share more about Mana at her celebration of life service later today, but I just wanted to be upfront with that today. Um, when we made the announcement about Mana this last weekend, and in our first set of communications out to the church, we didn't say anything about suicide because the family was still processing through it. And actually, we hadn't had our first conversation with them yet. I hadn't had the chance to ask the family directly, is it okay to talk about this? And when I did get the opportunity to ask that question, we were here in this room. We we're standing right in front of this kitchen area over here. And I was with Mana's two sons and their wives and Mana's parents, who were the ones that found her last Friday evening. And it was a delicate question because, you know, this is, this is her family. And I, and I didn't know how they would respond. But her father, when I asked the question, looked at me and said, I, I, I don't know why not, because Mana was always open about her fight. And he talked about how he, as her father, wrestled with her decision and how hard he knew her fight was and how none of us, not one of us, can really know what was going on the night that she took her life. Dr. Mayrose, who's the specialist that we're, we're bringing in to lead the listening session here on, on Wednesday night, shared that he worked alongside Mana in the Love, Inc. offices on a weekly basis. She would come over there. And again, he's had you know, 35 plus years of experience in pastoral care and professionally in suicide prevention. And so he knows well the, you know, the symptoms and the signs to look for when someone is about to make that decision. And he said that he didn't see any of that in Mana. So let's start this morning by releasing and laying at the cross any of our shoulda, coulda, wouldas this morning. Any of our, you know, I should have said something more. I, I, I should have visited her this week. I, I wish I would have had that cup of coffee or accepted that invitation. Um, that whispering going on in your head, let me tell you what it is. It's just the enemy trying to place blame and put on you the weight of guilt. That's what he does. So let's release that and we'll pray about that in just a second. But let me just you know, start off the conversation this morning by saying depression is, is a complex conversation that we're having you know, this morning. Mental illness is complex, but it's here. And, and we live in a world where scientists will tell us, and I would agree that we are addicted to technology. And the, the data shows that our relational skills are dwindling, families are splitting up more, kids are left to fend for themselves and grow up faster than in generations before. Anxiety has a seat at almost every table for families. Kids live in this fishbowl of comparison in the social media worlds that they live in. And, and even if you want to, you cannot escape a world that bullies anyone and everyone it sees fit in that world. And so with our online interconnected world, that can happen quickly and it can spread exponentially. So it's no wonder when you read study after study after study that teens and young people in their 20s are battling depression at unprecedented rates. And it's really uh, it's a reality, it's our reality, and it's complex. And so if you are in the middle of that storm, you already know that that's true. And I want to make sure that we say this right from the start, that mental illness is not a one-size-fits-all problem. It's not. Mental illness happens for a lot of reasons. It happens because of trauma in our lives. It happens because of genetic factors in our bodies. It happens because of chemical imbalances. It happens because of stress. 
in our lives, external circumstances of our life. Mental illness can also sometimes be a result of just our own personal failures that we're trying to keep the world from knowing about. It can be a spiritual attack. A lot of things can cause mental illness, and the problem with mental illness, one of, the, one of the great frustrations is that you can't see it, and you can't touch it. A scientist can't show it to you, or a doctor can't show it to you on a sonogram, or an MRI, or a CAT scan, or a blood test. There are symptoms, for sure, but you can't see the mental illness, and so that, that makes it even more frustrating for people who are fighting and struggling against it. And so there's really no three-step formula. There's, there's no simple answer. Uh, there's no easy Band-Aid, and that's why I'm not gonna try to offer any one-size-fits-all solution this morning. I, on the other hand, I wanna simply start off this morning by acknowledging um, that the weapon that the enemy likes to wield that we call mental illness, it's, 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 in, his, it's in his regular um, arsenal. He likes to kill and steal and destroy. That's what he does. That's, that's his nature. That's what he does. And so he'll use this as a tool to do that. And I believe that the church is only going to be able to get into the conversation in the way that we need to once the church wakes up and just kind of understands the power of the grip of darkness that people are struggling with and facing. So we, we can't push it aside. And we can't just say, you know, oh, you'll get over it. And we can't just give a simple little bumper sticker size answer. We've got to understand that we're talking about a powerful force when we talk about mental illness. But I'm telling you the thing that we first need to start with this morning is we just need to talk about it. And so this morning, whether it's suicide or whether it's depression or crippling anxiety, we're not going to hide in the uncomfortable, but we're going to point to Jesus this morning because he has triumphed over all. Amen. And we're also going to try to understand this morning, if you haven't been through this struggle, I'm just telling you right now, you probably don't fully understand it. And that's not, that's not a, a, a knock on you. It's just the reality that we've got to step into this morning. If you haven't had suicidal thoughts, then I'm just telling you that you can't fully understand it. That's not a knock. It's just the reality that, you know, I don't really fully understand what the battle would look like. And even those of us who have been through some of those struggles, we don't fully understand it in every situation. But not understanding this morning isn't going to give us an out to be silent. We're not going to go silent, but this morning we're going to stand up and we're going to speak. And this morning we're going to do what we started off doing this year. If you've been around, we're going to shine the light into the darkness. Even a darkness that maybe we don't fully understand because we do understand that Jesus is a light in the darkness, amen? So depression does its best work in the dark, it does. And I believe that the power of depression and the power of suicide garners its strength in the darkness. Scientists say that more suicides happen in the window of midnight than at any other time of the day. And that dark night of hopelessness, when we feel like maybe we're never going to see a dawn again, tightens its grip in the night and in loneliness and in isolation. And this morning, all of us have the opportunity to step out of the night and into light. Amen. To step out of the isolation that can be depression and into community where we can be honest about who we are and what we're struggling with. And when you step into the light, something can begin to heal and change us. I believe it. Here's our verse for the day. If you want and if you can, can you stand with me? We're going to honor reading God's word as we kick off this morning. We're going to read from Psalm 118, verse 17. And if, if you would, I'd, I'd appreciate it. Let's read it together this morning. Here's what it says. Let's read it together. Three, two, one. I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. Let's say it one more time. I will not die, but live and will proclaim what the Lord has done. Let's pray. Father God, this morning we just release, first of all, any guilt, any shame, any condemnation that the enemy would try to bring into this house this morning. And we've been coming, Lord, this morning praying and believing for a freedom and a release for people that are struggling with depression and anxiety, God. And so we just speak this over this house right now. 
God, we declare your name is above every other name. And God, so we, we just declare that your presence would be very real and very felt this morning, God. And that just not be my words, but your words. Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. In your mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. You can be seated. Thank you. So, I'm not a doctor. I'm not an expert. I'm not a psychologist, I'm not a psychiatrist. I'll be the first one to tell people that come into my office that I'm not a counselor. You know, I'll give you um, my pastoral perspective and counsel in that way, and I'll give you my story and, and what I know from scriptures, but that's what I've got. So, so I've enlisted help and gathered my notes from a lot of sources for this week. There was namely a, a Louis Giglio message that actually went kind of viral this last fall, and Mon actually shared this on her timeline last fall. Um, back in around October of 2019. Um, and it was actually, as I was talking with some pastors and trusted leaders as we were kind of walking through you know, our loss these last couple of weeks, this message got recommended to me uh, a couple times. Um, and so what you'll see today on your notes, points one through five are from that source. But outside of that, of course, we've got Holy Spirit, which I'm believing will speak directly to your spirit this morning, exactly what you need to hear. And then outside of that, I just want to say, and I just want to be honest this morning, I've been down in the pit of anxiety. I've been there. If you've been around long enough, you've heard the story, um, but I'll say it again. I've been down in the place where lies incubate. <laughs> I've been down in the place where I never thought I was going to be myself again. And, and I've been down in the place where I honestly didn't know what was going on. And if you've been there, you can relate. It, it's where people use phrases like, you know, I'm, I'm losing my mind. I, I, I don't know what's happening to me right now. I'm, I'm, I'm not in full control of my faculties. Right now, things are going on in my mind and physiolo physiologically in my body, I, I don't have control of. So I've been in that place. But I'm telling you, and I'll say it a thousand times, with the help of my family and with Jesus and through the power of worship, I made a fairly quick comeback out of that. And by the grace of God, you know, here I am. And, and, and so I, I know that what I needed in that time, listen, was not somebody to just come and say, you know, and give me a shout out, Sean, you can do this. You, you got it. That's not what I needed. That's not what I needed when I, when I was in the darkness. It's not what I needed deep down in the pit. I didn't need a shout out. I needed someone to show up and carry me, if you were here for last week. I needed somebody, because I felt like I was lame in both feet, if you know what I mean. I couldn't do stuff. I needed somebody to carry me. Some of you need someone to come and say, you know, I've lived through what you've lived through, and I'm here to tell you about it. We need, that's why we need the body of Christ. The body of Christ is so important. You need someone to show up and say, you're not alone and you're not the only one. Because personally, I didn't know or experience anything like that up until that place of need. And there I was, a, a district leader, a pastor um, in the Foursquare Church and a district leader caring for other pastors that couldn't get my stuff together. And I was starting to retreat into myself. And when you're there, you don't need a shout out from someone saying, you can do it. You need somebody to show up and say, hey, let me explain to you that you're not the only person that's going through this. And I'm going to stand here and go through this with you. So what I personally needed was for somebody to just show up, and they did. Deanna was a full-time student in medical school at the time with a, a, a rigorous schedule. Uh, and so she reached out and she called my parents and she was concerned. She said, Sean needs help. And it, it was kind of a scary thing. I mean, I was walking through stuff and feeling stuff that I had never felt before. And mom and dad, they packed up and, and they came and they stayed for, I don't, I don't know, over a week, I think. And what that communicated to me is, you know, hey, this might be a bumpy ride, but you're going to get through this. We're here. We're here with you. And you're going to make it to the other side. <laughs> and here I stand. And I've, I never want to go through that kind of anxiety again. But on the other hand, maybe I wouldn't be giving this talk today in the same way if I hadn't. And I would never be able to have maybe as much compassion for others who are struggling that way. And so we're here today. And if you're in that place, this is not to offer you some simple shout out. Come on, you can do it. It's not 
a rally cry like that, I'm here first and foremost to tell you that you are not alone. You're not alone. And I'm here to tell you that you're going to make it through this by the grace of God, because he is bigger than what you are facing. I'm also here this morning to take this discussion of depression seriously. I believe that depression is real and it is a killer, but it is not bigger than Jesus. It is not bigger than Jesus. If you're in a panic right now, if you feel suffocated right now by thoughts of suicide, I want you to know you're not alone, first of all, in this room. You're not alone. And I want you to know this. I want you to know this. You're not crazy. There might be a lot of crazy in your situation. There might be a lot of crazy in the chaos. There might be a lot of crazy in the mess surrounding you, but you are not crazy. Hear this this morning. You are God's handiwork, and he is greater. Can you receive that this morning? You are not crazy, but you're like, well, you should see the symptoms that I'm having. You should see the thoughts that are running through my mind. You should see the things that my body is doing that I don't have control over right now. Yeah, and that's why I say there's some crazy in it, but you are not crazy. God created you, and you are God's handiwork. One other thing I just want to note is we all showed up today. So you are not alone. Many of you knew that the talk was going to be what it it is this morning, and you all came. We're here. The church is here. But we do need to have a conversation about this. And so here's the five points we're going to talk about this morning. Number one, if you're taking notes, we need to talk about mental illness and probably more than we have. The church needs to talk about depression more. The church needs to talk about suicide more. And honestly, we're at the place where we don't have a choice. There was a time where we didn't talk about it, and part of it has to do you know, with the situation. You know, we want to honor the family's wishes to give them space as they walk through a really tough time, and sometimes the family will make the decision and decide that they don't want to talk about it. And you've probably all been to a service where no one ever mentioned the fact that the person you're at the service for took their life. They died, but nobody says how. Nobody talked about the circumstances in which they died except in you know, hushed conversations. They didn't want to talk about suicide. They don't want to surface the reality that maybe a family member you know, went to West Hospital. Instead, we just say, oh, they're dealing with an illness. We don't mention that it's a mental hospital or maybe someone that we loved was out of commission because of depression. And we say, yeah, they're just going through a tough season right now. When in reality, we just didn't want to tell the people. The reality is they're curled up in a fetal position and then they've been there for six weeks. But that was the reality, and I just hope that the church can get to a place where we can talk about it, where people don't feel like they have to hide what's going on in their world. I know for me, living in the PC world that we live in, I I felt like it was easier for me to say to people after the fact that I had a panic attack, because those panic attack actually kind of sounds like something like you have, like I had a sinus infection. I had a panic attack, you know, or I, or I pulled a muscle in my back. I had a panic attack, you know. It, it sounded so much better, uh, more acceptable to people than saying, you know, I had a mental breakdown. When's the last time you heard someone say that? It doesn't float in society as easily as, well, I had a panic attack. And I think we've got to strip away, strip all the pretense away so that we can talk about reality. And one of the realities going around us is depression, mental illness, and thoughts of suicide. Suicide is happening in our culture, in our community, and in our house this week. And the church needs to talk about it more. I think the days of not talking about it are over. Suicide, as you, as you probably know, is one of, one of, if not, the fastest growing killers of young people growing at an incredibly steady pace, especially among teens and young, young people in their 20s. But it's not just young people. The most likely people to take uh, their life were over 70 years old. And the most um, clarifying numbers that I could get for this morning um, go back to 2018, the Suicide Awareness uh, and Prevention Organization. 48,344 people in the United States alone took their lives in 2018. 48,344. That averages to 136 people a day 
or one person almost every 10 minutes. And it's not just some problem that's out there. It's here. We've experienced it right here in the house this week. I had my fair share of experience with suicide and its effects in, in, in two decades of youth ministry as a youth pastor. There was, there was a time that a girl's note in our youth group was found by her aunt, who was also her guardian, and they brought it to me, and we helped that family walk through some really tough but necessary conversations. And she's still with us today, praise God. They brought it to me, and, and you know, it, it, just, it just felt like a gut punch when that happened. You know, that precious girl that was part of our community, I didn't even know that she was struggling. There was another time where there was a couple of teenage suicides that happened in Laramie, Wyoming. That's part of our district. And, and then when the third one came, and it was someone in the Foursquare Church's youth group there at the, the Laramie Church, Matt Andrews, he was a youth pastor there. He was also our men's retreat speaker um, last year. He's a good friend of mine. He called and said help. He was a youth pastor. And so as the next gen rep for our district at the time, I gathered a couple of other of our trusted youth pastors and we went up and prayed and we ministered and we cried with students that night. I was also there when my next door neighbor, another good friend in Bayfield, Colorado, he'd called the church where I was on staff and reported that they had just found their daughter, a senior in high school, had committed suicide. They went to go work out, came back and they found her. And so when they called the church, the pastor had to drive in from where he lived, but I was right next door. And so when I showed up and walked out in that scene, it took my breath away. Walking into that moment. But I knew in every one of those moments, Jesus was wanting to step into the conversation and he's wanting to step into the fight and he's wanting to step towards people who are thinking about giving up on it all. And listen, out of those stories, every single one has arisen hope. Stories of God shifted my heart as a result and I stepped towards Jesus and I've chosen to live and not to die. And listen, it's, it's not all who we think. It's the bright ones running around with all the right people, but yet dying on the inside. And Mana, Mana was doing all the right and healthy things. She was fighting the fight with all the ways that you're supposed to. This is all around us, all ages, high school kids and CEOs of companies. And the culture is trying to speak to this. You know, the Netflix series came out, 13 Reasons Why, and Joaquin Phoenix, Joker, or our recent stabs at joining in on a conversation. I don't know how helpful they really were in the scheme of things. But I do know this. I know that we know the one who is the light of the world. And because of that, therefore, the church cannot be silent or on the sideline in this conversation. The church has to speak up and the church has to talk about mental illness and the church has to talk about suicide. And I hope that by speaking up about it, here's number two in your notes, if you're taking notes, by speaking up about it, we can destigmatize mental illness and even destigmatize the struggle with suicide. Could it be possible that the church could become a place where people could walk in and comfortably say, I'm depressed, I'm on medication, I'm in a treatment facility right now, I've been struggling through thoughts of taking my own life, I actually attempted to take my life, and the church wouldn't reel from that conversation, but the church would lean in with open arms and say, welcome home. Welcome home, there's no stigma here for having mental illness, there's no stigma here for struggling, there's no stigma here for anything that you're going through, everybody is welcome in this place. Because the reality is that being depressed is a weight, but you know what weighs even heavier than that is when you can't be honest about where you are, where you are. That weight is even heavier. And so we've got to be open and we've got to be honest and we've got to destigmatize that conversation. The pressure to be uh, quote unquote okay is a heavy pressure. And sometimes that pressure is greatest in the church. Why in the church? 
It's simple. We, our faith community, walking in our faith, we're, we're supposed to be stronger than all these things going on in the world, right? Well, our story is one of victory. Our songs that we sing are songs of victory. So when you come through the door and you're not walking in victory, when you come through the door and, and you're actually drowning under the darkness and feeling like you're losing yourself and when you come through the door and everybody's got their hands in the air and they're sharing their testimonies and they're shouting amen in the message and you don't feel like anything, that's a weight. Especially if the church puts you in a position where you don't feel like you can be honest. And it's the church in large part that's been teaching people that suicide is the unpardonable sin. Talk about a stigma. The scripture does not teach that suicide, by the way, is the unpardonable sin. Really, if you dig down into the three times that that phrase is found in scripture and you go to the original language, it's more of a conversation between religious leaders that ascribed Jesus' power to cast out demons as the work of Satan. But I don't believe the Bible anywhere teaches that suicide is the unpardonable sin. I do believe that suicide in the context of scripture is sinful, but hey, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so I believe that suicide is under the blood of Jesus. God has enough mercy and grace for suicide. But in the church, we ask all the questions, right? Isn't faith enough? Shouldn't faith be enough? You're a Christian. Shouldn't, shouldn't you overcome depression in your struggle with mental illness? Some people are you know, struggling with, should people be on medication? Should people see a therapist? Should people be in counseling? Should people be in a treatment facility? Well, I believe that the message of the church needs to be clear. And it's not simply, you know, we should all pray more. You know that I believe in the power of prayer. I mean, but let's, let's go down to this. If you know the reality here, it's just, it's not that simple for everybody. And everybody doesn't get instantly healed every single time. There's some of you that are still struggling through some healing of your own, right? And so... Yes, there's an opportunity for healing here, and I'm all about that 110% right here, right now, this morning. We've been believing and praying for that. But here's, here's what I want to talk about. Stay with this thought this morning. We've got to create an atmosphere where there isn't a stigma on somebody's life just because they didn't get over whatever they're struggling with during the gathering on the weekend. I mean, we, you know, if we had great worship and God's moving and speaking and we had a good word from the Lord, now surely with the response time, you know, you can get over whatever it is that you're dealing with, with the caveat that the rest of us are still getting over the stuff that we're dealing with. And I believe that when we get real, that that stigma comes down. And I believe the church needs to clearly say, it's okay to not be okay. And I will add to that, if you need help this morning, get help. If you need a doctor, get help. Doctors are a gift from God. They can be part of God's plan. All plans that bring healing can be a part of God's plan for healing. Any healing that happens in a person's life because every good and perfect gift comes down from heaven from the Father of lights. And I just wanna say, if you need help, please get help. And to the church, I just want to say, I, I, I love our community. There's been story after story after story of people coming through those doors from every corner of our neighborhood in all kinds of circumstances and situations. And I just praise God that when they come through those doors of this church, many people, they don't feel shame. This, is, this has been, I've heard it said from many different voices that this place is a place of grace. They don't feel judged. They don't feel like they need to cover up their reality, but that they could be true and find Jesus and find healing and find help. We've got to make sure that we don't become a, a church that push, kind of puts up a church veneer and a covering, like everything is just all right, even though we're struggling under the weight of darkness. Don't do that. And we've got to make sure that we don't forget where we came from and, and what we came through. I know when I realized, you know, I'm kind of coming up from my own little pit of anxiety that I had, when I realized I'm coming back to life, when I realized I'm going to make it out of that hole and kind of back into my right mind, I had a choice. I could close that door on that and never talk about it again. And that's the choice a lot of us like to make when that happens. But then I realized that I had a stewardship of a story of a miracle of God's grace. And somebody needs that story of the miracle of God's grace so that they could know and they can experience that in their life. And I'm not the only one that struggled. Every one of us 
While in our relationship with God, we have all overcome something. We've all come through something. And the worst thing that we can do is get through it all and then act like we never went through it just so that we can tell everybody you need to get your act together. While we're still working on getting it together ourselves. The church has got to be honest and the church has got to be real and when we do that, I think that stigma is lifted. The last thing the world needs is a fake church. And if you just dropped in today, you're watching online or you're here and you're not a part of this church and you're not really even sure where you are with Jesus, I just want you to know something about him. Jesus is not like that. He's not into veneer. He's not fake. In fact, he's the one who said, I've come to heal the sick. And I've come, I've come to seek and save those that are lost, that are hurting and they're broken. Bring them to the church. It's when we're honest with where we are, who we are, what we are, and where we've come from that we're candidates to experience the power of Almighty God. Jesus is here right now this morning, and he's here to heal. And he's here to create a culture where the broken and the lame can come to him in his house and receive healing and sit at the table. And I just want to take one more step and say... We've got to give people time and space to heal. It's a process. Restoration sometimes takes time. Can Jesus do a miracle right here, right now, this morning? Absolutely, 100%. Yes. And it's very likely that he will because we've been on our knees this week praying that God would do exactly that. In this moment, right now, we've come to these doors and we've come through these doors every week with expectation. And we see God do miracles every single week and in people's life, every gathering that we have. And I fully believe that he's gonna do a miracle right here and right now and on this day. There is no doubt in my mind about that. But at the same time, we wanna come to the understanding that sometimes the miracle takes a moment. And for you, some of you know this. The, the miracle may just be that you make it to tomorrow. That might be the miracle. Not that all of a sudden, instantaneously, everything went away. The, the miracle, just as big of a miracle for you, may be that I, I, I made it to Monday. Praise God, I made it. Did everything go away? No, but, but I'm, I'm still here and I'm still standing and that's a big miracle of God in my life. It's in process. So if that's where you are, let me just say it again. It's okay to not be okay. We see you, we hear you, we are here for you, we love you, and on top of that, we are you. This is the family of God and we have a place for you. I think about Pastor Brent, one of our founding pastors, and what he said over the years about his vision. Um, he's legally blind if you don't know him and, and has been praying and believing for a healing miracle for years. And um, you know that hasn't happened yet, but he's always said, if I don't receive my healing and my miracle tomorrow, I'm gonna still keep preaching and believing that God heals because I've seen him do it and I know that he is faithful. And I know Mana would say to us this morning, don't give up, God is good and he is faithful. Keep believing and keep putting your trust in him. None of us know what led her to that decision but we do know her life testifies it that she totally and completely trusted God. So we've got to destigmatize this conversation in the church, and I think we can do that, but we've also got to deglamorize suicide. So this is the tougher part of our journey this morning. And you ask the question, well, how, how could suicide be glamorous? Well, the enemy has a way of making everything glamorous. There are two specific ways that suicide is glamorized. The culture that we live in creates this whirlwind that scientists call the suicide contagion. Robin Williams, he takes his life, and in the four months that follow, the suicide rate in America goes up 10%. And the manner of suicide in which he died goes up 30 plus percent. Marilyn Monroe takes her life, and the suicide rate in America goes up 12%. Somehow, 
in some crazy way, the media attention and all the notoriety and even for some, the way that the suicide just kind of has this cult effect on their legacy, it kind of creates a vortex that sucks people in and pulls them under to this glamorous view and they believe a lie that suicide can actually be somehow a good thing. The second way, the other way that the enemy glamorizes suicide is by telling us this lie that everybody else is gonna be better off when we're gone. Countercultural rock star uh, Kurt Cobain, he wrote a, a, a long goodbye letter before he committed suicide. And at the end of it, he wrote to his wife, Courtney, these words. He said, please keep going, Courtney, for Francis. Francis, that was, that's her daughter. Her, her life will be so much happier without me. That's the glamorizing power of suicide. My daughter's life will be better without me. I wonder if Francis's life has been better without her father. I can't answer that, only she can. But I can tell you that it's most likely it's not gonna be better for you or anybody else. Because if you take your life, it's not gonna be better for you because it's not God's purpose for you. It's not God's plan for you. Your destiny is not in leaving. Your destiny is in staying. And it's certainly not gonna be better for the people that you love. Because here's what happened. You might be free from some of that earthly pain, but you're gonna trap all those around you in a different kind of pain. So don't believe the lie that you're a burden and that one choice can allow you to escape all that pain and that when you make that choice, everyone else will be better off without you because that is not the case. No one first of all, will be better off without you. Those that you love will be left behind to live out their lives with guilt, a cloud of self-doubt, with questions, with pain, and sometimes with anger that will stick around for the rest of their lives. And all the while, they'll think that they weren't worth fighting for. Oh, they'll know that it wasn't you that took your life. They'll know that it was the darkness ravaging you, that it wasn't really you thinking clearly. They'll know that intellectually in their head, but it will be a gut punch in their soul and it will be agonizing and it will be painful. I've watched as my youth group reeled from the decision of one young person who took their life and I've watched students struggle at length, regretting that they could have done or said more. One never fully factors in the collateral of that kind of decision. And I believe that God wants you to hear this morning somebody. He wants you to hear as gently as we can say it, as kindly as I can say it this morning. I want you to hear this. Suicide doesn't alleviate pain. It multiplies it. So stay, even in the pain. And trust God to do a miracle and to give you another sunrise and to give you another day and to believe in him. We need to talk about it. We need to destigmatize it and hopefully deglamorize it. And coming down to the end here, we need a better mantra. It can't just be it's okay to not be okay. <laughs> that cannot be our mantra. It is okay to not be okay. And we need to be able to say that. We should be able to say that in the church. But that cannot be the total message, right? Because we have resurrection in our story. That's why we're pointing people to Jesus this morning and fixing our eyes on things that are above because even though we may not be okay, he is okay. Jesus is okay. He's a victor, if you'll remember, with scars. And he has overcome and he's here in this place right now and he understands what's going on. You do realize that Jesus considered taking his own life, right? You know that? In scripture, when he was in the wilderness, the enemy said, jump off the corner of the temple and angels will grab you. He'd been 40 days and 40 nights without food and water. How did Jesus think in that moment? Can you imagine what kind of pressure he was under? What kind of stress that he was dealing with in a weak moment? The enemy comes in and says, jump off the temple. Don't worry, it's all gonna work out. What if he had jumped? And what if the angels hadn't intervened? And what if the resurrection plan of Jesus had died that night? So when scripture says that he's been tempted in every way, like we are, it means in every way. 
that somehow Jesus, knowing that he was going through pain and suffering and hardship and death and grave and sin and hell, he kept talking about not all that he knew that he was going to go through, but he kept talking about the fact that he was, when he went through it, he was going to come out on the other side. That's what he was talking about. And he did. When Jesus was dying on a cross, think about this. One of his closest friends was committing suicide. So don't think that Jesus doesn't understand where we are. He's in our midst with us this morning, having come through the darkness. And he is okay. And therefore, you can say, and I can say, even though I'm not okay, Jesus is okay. I can say I'm not 100% okay right now, but I want to add that Jesus is 100% okay right now. And I can say I can feel like I'm losing my grip right now, but I want to add that Jesus is not losing his grip right now. We're not just offering up some little slogan, I'm not okay, but Jesus is okay, and oh boy, everything just turned out well. We're saying something so much more powerful than that. We're saying that you and I can participate in our own future by confessing things that are true over our lives. Because in large part, our words, scripture teaches this, determine our destiny. If you're saying all day long, I'm not gonna make it, 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 I feel like I'm not gonna make it, I really feel like I'm not gonna make it, guess what? You're upping your odds of not making it. And you're also mimicking the enemy Because your heavenly father is not telling you that. But on the contrary, if you were to say, this is the hardest thing that I've ever been through. Anybody in that spot? This is the hardest thing I've been through, but I will come out on the other side. There's a counterweight, you see, to the weight. There's a counterweight and the the weight is real and the depression is real and that situation is real. It's very real, but there's a counterweight that is just as real. He is real and he is okay. So I'm going to finish that sentence this morning. I'm going through the hardest thing and the darkest night and the biggest trial and I'm coming up against hell itself, but I will come through. I'm going to finish the sentence about my own destiny. I am going to make it. I'm going to make it. Even if I don't see it or I don't believe it, I am still going to speak it because Jesus is in fact alive from the dead and has overcome the darkness and he is okay. And I'm telling you, confessing and bringing Jesus into the darkness gives a little glimmer of light that can come crashing into the blackest of depression. And that one ray of light can bring you another day of life. And I know that you can be broken down to the bottom and still confess that Jesus is healer at the same time. And the two things don't have to match and, and, and be congruent in time and space to be real. Circumstances never corroborate fully to the fullness of God. You can't trust circumstances to fully match up with the faithfulness of God. Sometimes circumstances are opposite everything we've come to believe about God, but the cross does corroborate the faithfulness of God. And it stands in history as proof that our God is good, even in the darkest of night. And you can believe that about God even when you're broken down in your weakest state. Both things can live together, and when you start confessing the reality of who he is, things change. The light comes in. So I want to encourage you to use the power of your mouth. And listen, you'll see, you say your, your, your rebuttal this morning, you say, I can't, I can't, I can't do that, Pastor Sean. Well, you already are when you say, my depression is horrible. My depression is worse than it's ever been. My anxiety is so bad, I can't even, even go out the door. My situation right now, I don't even know if I'm going to be able to come out of this. I've never been this bad, so bad off before. No one's ever been able to help me. No one's ever been able to solve this. Nobody's been able to diagnose my thing. I can't see my future. Things haven't changed for a long time, and it's going to be like this for a long time. So we're already, I'm saying this kindly, using our mouth. So why not just finish the sentence? Man, I've never been this far off. Nothing's changed in in weeks, but Jesus. He's still okay. 
He's still solid. He's still true. He's still in his right mind. He's still strong. He's still a healer. Amen. He, he still loves me. He's still got a plan. I know it's never been this bad before, uh, but Jesus is still as good as he's ever been since the day that he gave his life for me on the cross, and I receive it, and I believe it, and I'm going to keep confessing, and I'm going to keep saying it. I'm going to say what the psalmist said, and this is the verse that we're hanging everything on this morning, the heart text of everything we're saying today. I'm going to confess Psalm 118, verse 17, I will not die, but live, and I will declare what the Lord has done. I will not die, but I will live and I will declare what the Lord has done. It's not a simple fix. You, you may need help. And, and if you need help, please get help. But while you're getting help, use the power of your own tongue to create a future that you're going to live in. And that future is I'm not going to die. I know that it feels like sometimes that I'm going to die, but I'm not going to die. I'm going to live and I'm going to have a story to tell of the faithfulness of God in my life. And I'm not going to close it up in the closet. I'm not going to hide it behind my church or Christian veneer. I'm going to tell the world the whole time that's where I was, but this is where I am. That's what I was, but God brought me through. I was so far down in that pit, but God lifted me up and he broke me out. I will not die, but I will live and I will declare what the Lord has done. I'm not okay, but Jesus is, and that's my story. And every time I say it, I'm bringing Jesus right into the darkness. I'm bringing him right into West Hospital. I'm bringing him right into that situation, right into depression, right into the voice of the darkness that is trying to say, take your life tonight. I'm saying that I've got another voice. Jesus is okay. My God is okay. I may not be okay, but my God, he is okay. His name is Jesus, and I'm going to stand on that. I'll say, lastly, that the church needs to create a story where we can realize and understand that God might not take away all the pain on this earth. So many people that are contemplating taking their lives, the sentence that they say is, I can't take the pain one more day. I can't take it one more day. And somehow, I think the church maybe hasn't had an answer for that except, you know, just pray more or, or believe more or have more faith or, you know, get over it. And I believe that the answer may not necessarily be that you need to pray that God would alleviate the pain. It may be that you need to say to Jesus, you understand pain more than anybody on the planet. So can I bring this pain to you for one more day? And trust that you can use this pain to do what you would with it, to do good if you can do that, an eternal change through my life and maybe even the lives of others. Maybe the church needs to say, instead of pray this quick prayer and all the pain will go away, to say, take the pain to Jesus and find that there might be purpose in that pain. There was purpose in Jesus' pain and it was for our healing. And we're all gonna stand in that moment where he will wipe away all the tears from our eyes and there is no more sorrow. That's not on this earth. And there is no more death. That's not on this earth. And there is no more crying. That's not on this earth. There's no more tears. That's not, as, that, that's not on this earth. That's in our forever home with Jesus. But for now, sometimes there's gonna be pain. But the pain can have a glorious purpose if you're like, but you don't know what I've been through. Yeah, you're right. I don't know, but I do know what he went through and he can come alongside you and he can carry you and your pain. And he is forever faithful. Carry you in your pain one more day. And then he can use you and your pain to unlock doors for prisoners and set captives free because at the end of the day, it's all about him. Suicide is the ultimate rebuttal to the belief that scripture teaches I am created by and for God's glory because when you choose to end your life, you cannot glorify God in that way. So you glorify God by staying in it and leaning on him to bring you through one more day, one more dawn. That's how God is glorified in our lives. And when we were created by and for his glory, scripture teaches. So if you need help, get help. But I, I want to encourage you to stay and stay for your family, stay for your friends, stay for the church. We need you. Stay for the world. You have a gift and, and we need your gifts. Stay. 
you have something to contribute to make this world a better place, and we need that. But hear me this morning. Ultimately, stay for more than your kids. Stay for more than your wife. Stay for more than your husband. Stay for more than your job. Stay for God and his glory. Stay another day that, so you can bring glory to God. Don't leave. Stay. You have more power than the enemy wants you to know that you have. And, I, and I, I didn't think when I was in that place of anxiety in that pit that I had any shred of power. I couldn't get any work done. I couldn't attend meetings, let alone Zoom meetings. You know, I couldn't leave the house. I couldn't function. I couldn't think. I couldn't get out of bed half the time. I could not make macaroni and cheese. And for some reason, that felt worst of all. <laughs> I couldn't do it. And the enemy made me think, he said it to me, you've, you've got no power. But when my story started to take that turn, when it started turning around, I realized that I did have power. I have the power to praise God in the darkest place that I've ever been in. And when I did, I just shoved it right back in the face of the enemy. And I don't say that with a boast because I still struggle sometimes with anxiety. But the enemy is making you think that you have far less power than you have. And you're gonna show him this morning, not by some big strongman move or big, some big superwoman move that you're gonna show him just by simply opening up your mouth and saying, I'm not okay. Thank you for giving me that line, by the way, Satan. I accept that. I'm going through some difficult times. That is a reality. I'm not gonna glaze over that, but I am gonna say something else this morning. My Jesus, he is okay. I'm gonna finish the sentence. I'm not all shouty and maybe crazy and my, my hands might not be up in the air and I'm not doing a little jig and dancing around, you know, when I say it and it's all I can do to just get that out. But I'm getting it out and I'm finishing my sentence. By the grace of God, I will make it and I will not die. I will live and I will declare what the Lord has done. You have the power, more power than you think. You have the power to open God's word and you should. And you say, but I'm seeing a good counselor. Well, amen. I need medication right now and it's helping me, great. But you've also got the power to open up to his word and I encourage you to open up. Romans eight is what I was thinking about this week which starts with no condemnation. No condemnation and then you know what it ends with? No separation, no separation from the love of God. And in between no condemnation and no separation, you'll see that in all things God works. In all things, God works. In all things, God works. He works in West Hospital. He works in the pit. He works through depression. <laughs> he works through thoughts of suicide. He works even when a family member or a friend has taken their life. God still somehow even works in that. In all things, God works in between. No condemnation and no separation. You're an adopted daughter. You're an adopted son of the almighty God. And the spirit of God inside of you says, Abba, Father. I have a father who loves me. I have a God who cares for me. I have a king who has invited me to sit at his table who calls me beloved son and calls me a beloved daughter. No condemnation. No separation. Why not memorize that? And why not make that part of our story? Why not hone in on the truth of the last few verses of Romans 8 where it says, nothing can separate me from the love of God in Christ, not life and not death. Did you catch that? Not life and not death. If you're thinking about taking your life, it's not death you're worried about, it's the life that's giving you trouble. And he's saying neither life nor death can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. You've got more power than you think you do this morning. And I'm not asking you to do what you cannot do. I'm just asking you and I'm encouraging you to open up your mouth and agree with what God says about you. My God loves me even in the pit and he is with me in the middle of it all. And if I lean hard on Jesus, I'm gonna see another sunrise. And if I bring my pain to him, he will carry me through to one more day and somehow he will triumph over it all because he is greater than it all. Let's pray this morning. Father God, we are so thankful for your word over us this morning. God, we're thankful for your plan and your purpose for every single one of us that's watching online and in this room this morning. And God, we just declare 
And we say that this house, the enemy is not going to steal one more. The lie of the enemy, he comes and brings weapons to kill, steal, and destroy. And we stand against the wiles and the, the ways of the enemy and say no more. God, this morning, if we're dealing with and walking through any kind of depression, anxiety, weight, guilt, any kind of mental breakdowns. Father, we, we understand, you've, you've said it loud and clear, that it's okay to not be okay, but we're coming and we're finishing that sentence. It's not okay to be okay, but you are okay and we are holding on to you. You are our strength when we're weak. God, we give our lives and we surrender all that we are to you. And God, when we step in to your purposes and your plans and we hold on to the fact that you are okay, God, give us the grace and mercy to live another day and declare to the world your glory. God, we thank you for that. In your mighty name we pray. Amen. Pastor Derek. Amen. Thanks, Pastor Sean. You know, uh, these are hard conversations and it's kind of funny that, uh, you know, in next-gen ministry, we have these kind of conversations a lot because it's central to what's going on in, in next gen, you know, in, in, in teens' lives and stuff. So we end up having to talk about things like this very often. But as far as doing it on a Sunday morning, we don't. So this morning, I was, as I was writing my, my closing, because I, I don't write, I don't figure out what we're doing for closing until we're in the middle of it. And uh, it's like, Holy Spirit, what do we do? I imagine that's about what Sean was doing earlier this week. Like, how do we approach a subject? How do we do this? And I really felt like Holy Spirit wanted me to share this. You are not alone. Mana was not alone. On her last day, Jesus sat beside her and he loved her as much then as he loved her the day she was born and as much as he loved her every day in between. On earth, Mana fought every day. Every day. But now she's in heaven, and she'll never have to fight again. She's dancing with Jesus, and this is our hope. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And if I looked at the uh, notes in my study Bible. And uh, it says, before presenting this, the list of examples, the author defines what faith is. It is acting, acting. It's making a choice, moving a direction. Acting on what God has revealed about his will and character. The confidence of faith is based on the God who fulfills his promises. Because remember two weeks ago, we talked about God has not forgotten. God hasn't forgotten what he promised. He's not done doing the things that he started. He's faithful to see them through. The word that is translated assurance in this verse um, actually means an active certainty, okay, a, a movement, a, a choice, an active certainty that what God has promised will come to pass despite our not yet seeing it. So it's kind of like, um, I don't know if I'm gonna wake up tomorrow. Tomorrow's not promised. It might not happen, but I'm going to set my alarm clock anyway, right? It might not happen. It's not promised, but I'm setting up for it anyway. We can have hope, faith, and certainty in Jesus Christ because he is good, because he loves, because he wants the best for us, and because he is God. So if you're here today, either in-house or online, hi guys. It's weird because I've been talking to them a lot and I've been talking to you guys none because we're typing and stuff. So, hey. <laughs> uh, if you're here today, either online or in-house, uh, and you've never experienced this kind of hope, I believe Holy Spirit is calling you this morning. I believe he's calling you to experience this hope, this certainty. In a minute, I want to help you by giving you some words to, um, 
help you kind of speak what you're feeling, to kind of help you uh, make some of those choices to actively redirect your life. And, and not that you're doing it, but Holy Spirit's calling you into alignment with uh, the plans that Jesus has for you. And I want to give you some words to just kind of help you get your mind into what your spirit is doing. And if you're here today and you are unsure, maybe you, you used to be sure, maybe, maybe you've been a Christian for a while and you're like, yeah, I used to have faith and hope and all those things, but now, you know, maybe the battle has just worn you down and you just don't know anymore. I've been there. Pastor Sean's been there. That's what he was talking about earlier. There's no shame in that. But God has better for you. And so if you're there, I want to give you some words this morning to help you get back on track, to help you uh, start following behind God again. A few years ago, I shared a story, but uh, picture that God shared with me and he just brought it to my memory. When I was a little kid, I remember following my dad. My house was uh, on one side of the fence and I lived with my mom and my dad's house was on the other side of the fence. And so there was a gate in my dad's backyard that led between the two. And I remember being, um, I was probably 11, maybe 10. And I remember we were walking through the snow and the snow was probably this deep. But as long as I kept my feet in my dad's path, I was fine. I put my feet where my dad's feet were and I followed him and it was wasn't a problem. But any time that I tripped or stumbled and got off, things got really, really difficult until I got reoriented and put my feet back in dad's footsteps. And that's all I want to do. That's all I want to do today is give you some words to help you, uh, to, help, to help you and help, help God bring your feet, redirect you, reorient you, jerk you out of the snow and put you back on the path that's clean. So if you're in either of those groups today, I'd ask you to just repeat this after me. Jesus. Jesus. I know that your plans for my life are good. I know that your plans for my life are good. But Jesus, Jesus, one way or another, one way or another, I've found myself off track. I found myself off track. My life is not what I want it to be. Life is not what I want it to be. Jesus, please bring me to you. Jesus, please bring me to you. Hold me in your arms. Hold me in your arms. Remind me, remind me of who you have created me to be. Jesus, Jesus, I pray that you would bring me hope. Pray that you would bring me hope. Peace, peace, joy, joy, stability, stability. Jesus, Jesus, guide me in your ways. Guide me in your ways. Help me to follow you. Help me to follow you. In your name. In your name. Amen.